We're going to open in prayer as we look at this. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're going to teach us through the story that we're looking at today. We ask you to guide and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to break up the story of Cain and Abel into at least two parts, (laughs) probably three, um, because I think there's a lot in this that we kind of overlook in. We we know the story. We know it so well that we sometimes don't really look at what it's teaching us. So starting at verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of sheep, but Cain a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and so unto his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wrath, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, you shall, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and unto you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. We're going to stop there because there's a lot in this part just at the starting of this. We start out with this verse that Adam and Eve have a child named Cain. Uh, Is this their first child? We don't know. Is this the first male child? Probably. (laughs) Because the word, the name that he gets is possession. And what what does Eve say of this child? I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now this word for Lord is now Yahweh. It's is the the word Yahweh. It's the first time it's been used by itself. We've had Elohim all through chapter one. We had Elohim Yahweh in chapter two and three, and in chapter four we have Yahweh. And we've talked about this. Yahweh is the existing one. Okay, the I am. When God tells Abraham, you know, or Abraham, yeah. When Moses asks God, "What is your name?" He says, "I am." Is my, is my name. And when Jesus talks to the, to the high priest at the judgment seat, he goes, tell us if you are the Messiah. The, the, and Jesus said, I am. Okay. He didn't say, I am the Messiah. He just stopped with, I am. And before that, when he was before the scribes and Pharisees in a judgment, they go, well, you know, he goes, we, you know, you're only 35, you know, you're less than 35 years old. How do you know, how do you know Abraham? And he said before Abraham was, I am. You know, people will tell you Jesus never claimed to be God. He claimed to be God many times in the scriptures. Okay, not just by accepting worship, not by forgiving sins, but he literally claimed the title God when he said, I am. In the Garden of Gethsemane, they came to arrest him, and they go, who do you seek? We seek Jesus of Nazareth. He, he didn't say, I am he. He said, I am. And the temple guard fell in worship because they knew what he was claiming to be. Now, over and over again, Jesus claimed the title of God, and here Eve is saying, I have gotten a man from God. Why is this important in, in her mind? We go back to Genesis 3.15. She is looking for that child that is going to be born of her that will crush the serpent's head and have his heel uh, bruised. 
The first verse of the Messiah's prediction was that one. Eve is convinced that she has the Messiah. Can you imagine the pressure that poor kid had on him living up for, from that point on? You know, you're going to be our deliverer. You're going to be the one that crushes the serpent's head. We fell, and you're going to be, you're going to be victorious over him. You know, have you ever thought about that life for him? You know, then we get in the second verse that they have a second son, and he just gets the name Abel. You know, now, you've got to understand, Abel means breath or vanity. Okay, here's Cain. Cain is the possession. He's going to be the victorious one over the serpent. And oh yeah, we have Abel. <laughs> Abel is not having a very good starting position either. He's going to be the more righteous before God. But he's looked at very negatively by at least Eve, if not Adam as well. Cain is their, their destiny. You know, her first male child, the one that is going to be victorious over the serpent. He's going to, this, is, this is the one. You know, I, God, you said my seed <laughs> is going to be the one that crushes his head. So she's looking at him. This is the Messiah. Now we don't really realize, but in Judaism, every woman's hope is that they're going to give birth to the Messiah. Even to this day, because they don't believe Jesus came as the Messiah, they still to this day are hoping, will I be the one that gives birth to the Deliverer, the Deliverer, the Messiah, the one that will bring Israel to its glory that it desires. And it may not be quite as true today as it was back in the past, but all through those generations, they were always looking and saying, do I have the son? Is it my son? Especially before David was born, because then David was told that the Messiah would sit on his throne, so now you had to be part of David's seed. And it kept getting further and further down the road. You know, when Mary would have gone to her parents and said, I've got the Messiah. <laughs> you know, number one, she's not married, so that didn't go over very well. And, you know, they're going to think, boy, you're, you're from such a wicked girl having sex outside of marriage, you know, because that's what they would have thought. You believe that you have the Messiah being born to you? That's the glory that the best of the best wanted. And so we see this problem coming in, and Eve is thinking she has given birth to the rescuer. She doesn't realize there's going to be 4,000 years before that happens. But she says, I have gotten given birth to a man-child or given a man-child from God. So whether he's the first child born or the first male, we don't know. We do know that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters beyond just uh, uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth. We only know three names for any of their kids. And you know, it's kind of sad because Abel was given such a miserable name and no reason, reason behind his name because she got the one she wanted, she thought. She got the one she wanted is what she thought because he was going to be the deliverer. This was the man from God that was going to deliver them. And Abel becomes a second thought. Now, yeah, here's yeah, just, a, just another boy. Just another child. But Cain, he's, he, he, is, he is the one. He is the one. And I know you may not have ever recognized it when you saw those first two verses. You probably never really thought about how important those first two verses are. You know, we just thought maybe they're introducing the characters. <laughs> and they are, but there's a lot in this introduction to the characters that we never really think about. 
Cain, all the hopes of humanity have been pinned on Cain. By his mother at least. And if mom has pinned him there, Adam has probably pinned him there too. Uh, and then all of a sudden they have Abel. Now Jewish tradition says that Cain and Abel were twins. It doesn't really give us that, that knowledge. And I'm not going to say yes or no to that. They are two sons of Adam and Eve. So we see here a problem already built up in the family. Cain, the rescuer of it, and his brother, just a sidebar. Just a sidebar. You know, when we think about this, you know, we've got to be careful of how we treat other people. How many times, and I know that this even happened to me in the business world, I'd hire somebody and I thought they were going to be a really good employee. And you know what? They usually were. And I hire somebody else, I'm thinking, well, this person is just going to be a fill-in. And most of the time, that's all they were. Why? Was I that good a judge of characters? I don't think so. Subconsciously, I think I put extra effort into the people that I thought were going to be good and gave them more chances and more, more training than I did the person that I thought was just a fill-in. This is the way Cain and Abel are going to be raised. Cain is going to get everything. He's the, he's the rescuer. He, he is the one that is going to be taking, at the very least, Adam's place. He is the, he is the man. He's the one who's going to rescue them. He, all their hopes are pinned on him. And Abel's just an afterthought. It says that he was the keeper of the sheep. And even all the way back to there, the keeper of the sheep was not the, the, the title position. Remember when Samuel came to Jesse and says, I want to see all of your sons? And Jesse parades his sons in front of Samuel, and God keeps saying, nope, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. And he goes, is there another son? Oh, yeah, I have one more. <laughs> he's out taking care of the sheep. He, he's so insignificant. He's the youngest. And all I do is keep him out in the field, fields all the time, you know, and he's taking care of the sheep. I can almost picture this being the case of Abel. Oh, yeah, we do have another son, don't we? He's out there with the sheep. <laughs> he's out there with the sheep taking care of the sheep. Now, we have this Cain. Cain is, Cain, Cain is the one that's going to win. He's going to be victorious. Let me look at this word in the process of time. How long a time? Doesn't tell us. We do know that there are a lot of people on the planet at this point in time. Because when Cain, when we get to it and Cain is given his sentence, he goes, all of those who see me will want to kill me for killing my brother. Now, how many people is he worried about? Is he worried about one other brother? You know, no, he's worried about a large group. Abel obviously had children. Seth is to be born. Cain has family because it says he left, he was kicked out with his wife and he's worried about other people people seeking his life. How much time has gone by? We don't know. 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years. <laughs> we have multiple families out there by the sound of what he says. You know, and we look at this and say, how long? It's kind of funny. We just go from being kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3 to this first murder that's recorded. We don't know how long it is. We don't know how big the families become. And, but there's many people out there 
And remember that every single person that is born as a human race is from Adam and Eve. All right? One of the biggest questions we always get is where did Cain get his wife? He married a sister. Plain and simple, if he didn't marry a sister, he did not marry a human being. All right? Uh, now people go, well, you can't marry your sister. Well, that doesn't stop. That doesn't happen until 1,600 years later, after the flood, after, after the time when they, when God gives the laws and says, okay, the gene pool is now polluted enough. You cannot marry close related individuals. Adam and Eve were still fairly perfect, perfect specimens of humanity with good DNA, because that's what they were created to to build a human race. And they were given the perfect DNA. It hadn't broken down because of the sin nature. As they got further and further along, more and more decay of the, sin of the DNA structure was put in, and more and more problems. As we see today, more and more DNA issues in birth, and more and more s sickness at birth because of the broken down DNA, which partially is our fault because of our sin and the destruction we do to our bodies. But sin automatically put death in the body started breaking down the DNA right from the beginning. But Adam and Eve had a perfect DNA which was would have been passed virtually unbroken to their kids, who then could marry each other with not a problem. And we, so we have how long in this? We don't know, but we see that there are not just the four of them that we people used to think, you know, well, what do we have? All we have is Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. No. We read, in, we read it and we read it in context and we see there's a lot of people out there. Cain is worried about somebody coming to revenge his brother. Mostly his brother's family. <laughs> okay? So we look at this and it says, In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground to offer the Lord, and Abel brought of the first thing, first thing of his flock and the fat thereof, and God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice. Well, we go, well, what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? He wasn't, he wasn't a shepherd. He, wasn't, he didn't have all that. He brought what he had. That, of course, is the problem. Cain did exactly what Adam and Eve did. They did what they wanted to, not what God told them to do. God told the parents, don't eat of the tree of life, uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate it. And they were punished. And what did God do to, to do? He clothed them with a killing of animals to create skins, garments for them. He didn't just out of the air create skins for them. Blood had to be shed in the picture of the blood shed by the Messiah in the future. And so we see this. And why do we see sacrifice everywhere in this world for worshiping gods? Because Satan is a counterfeiter. We need to understand, Satan never creates anything new. He only counterfeits what God has done. And his lies have been the same all the way from the beginning. In the New Testament, we're told we have three problems, and, and John tells us we have three problems. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What was his temptation to Eve? She looked and saw that the, food, the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. It looked good for give you desire for, for knowledge, the lust of the lust of the um, lust of the, I, um, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, <laughs> and.
and then the pride of life that would give you knowledge. Same problem right from the beginning. How does Satan tempt us today? Wow, that really looks good. You really need this more than anybody else. You need to fulfill your desires, our flesh. And it starts with the eyes. We see something and we start coveting it. We want something that is not ours, rightfully ours. And then the pride of life. I've got to do this because this is what I need to make me feel good. And our colleges right now are teaching everybody that you need to self-actualize. You need to do what's best for you. Yep, that's where highly educated people are taught. And if you take that out, and that is not a bad idea if you put God in there and what you're doing is good for you but also good for other people. But the human nature says, well, if I'm going to do what's best for me, it doesn't matter whether I hurt anybody else. And then we wonder why the elites in our world are willing to hurt everybody because that's what they're taught. And it goes all the way back to our sin nature, which is what we want. And they're being taught that what you want is good, go and get it. Satan has twisted what God says is good into something that is totally wrong. You know, good leaders, according to Jesus, are one that serve those that are theirs. Now, there's times when the leader has to say, we're doing this just because I say so and we need to get it done. But you know, my best times are when I could tell people why we need to do something and say, let's get this done, and they would do it because they saw the reason behind it. They saw the reason that I could do it if I needed to, and I would if I had to. You know, and I even told a couple of people, I go, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. I'll, you, can, you can go home and not have a job, and I'll do it. Because if, I, if you don't want to do it, I'll do it. But you also don't have a job. You know, how do we work these things out? Satan is always out there lying. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. By the sacrifice given to us in Genesis 3, the picture of Jesus' death, and a Cain comes to God and says, here, God, here's my, the best that I can offer you. I'm a farmer. Here's the best of my crop that I can do. In other words, here's my good works. Adam and Eve sinned, and they covered themselves with good works. They sewed together fig leaves and put a covering on them, and God said, that's not enough. Blood has not been shed. Cain comes to God and says, God, here's, here's my good works. I toiled real hard to get these things out of the, out of the ground. I, I kept the thorns and thistles out of my field, and, and I watered them, and I tilled that ground, and God, this is the best I had to offer you. And God says, you're doing things your way. How often do we try to serve God our way? God, I'm going to do the best I can for you. And that's a good thing. Go ahead and do the best you can, but if you're doing it to please God, don't do it. Because it's not going to be what is going to get you into heaven and please God. You know, coming to church is a great thing. You know, I don't ever want people not to come to church, but if you're only coming to church because you think you're doing something good, don't come to church. Because too many people have problems with coming to church because they get a hard heart because they hear the gospel so many times that they reject it. The easiest place to get a hard heart toward God is in church. If you don't repent of your sins and repent of where you're at and let God change you, being in church is not a great place to go because you'll go, well, I'm okay. 
Jesus said, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they go down a long list of all the good things they did. They fed the hungry, they clothed the naked, they visited the prison, they visited the sick. And what does Jesus say to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. If we're doing things to get to God and say, God, look at everything I've done, we're doing it for the wrong reason. And that doesn't mean that we're lost or we're saved, not saved. We could be saved and still try to earn God's favor. We can't do it. We are to be crucified. We are to be a new creation. We are to have our heart of stone pulled out and a heart of flesh put in that God dwells in and says, I am going to make you like me. And, the, and those of you who know what that means is the, more you, the closer you draw to God, the more you become like him. And the more you become like him, the more you draw close to him. And the more you become like him. It's a complete circle. What happens with that, before that is we push away from, ah, God, no, 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 don't want anything to do with you. You're too bright, you're too holy, you're too righteous. When you start backsliding, that's the way you get with God. You push away. Uh, nope, God. <laughs> Can't, you're, you're, just, you're showing too much of your light into my heart. I'm seeing how, how rotten and dirty I am. Go away. You know, put a curtain up. I don't want to see what's down there. And this is what should be driving us. The more we get to know God, the more we see how bad our heart is, and the more we ask God to get rid of what's in our heart, and the more we ask him to take away our heart and give us a new heart. And then he shines the light brighter and brighter still and draws a little closer to us, and we get to see what real holiness is and real righteousness is, and it should drive us to our knees and saying, God, I am sinful. I, I, I need you. We talked this morning in Sunday school about mercy not getting what we deserve. Do we draw so close to God that we start showing people what God has shown us? He gives us mercy. Do we show others mercy? He gives us grace. Do we show other people grace? He gives us forgiveness. Do we show others forgiveness? All of these are hard to do. They're not in our human nature to do any of those things. And if you don't believe me, just think about it. Think of the person that has hurt you the most. How forgiving are you to them? Are you wishing them really good things, or are you like, okay, I can't wait for God to get them? They deserve it. You're right. They deserve it. So do we. We, do, we deserve God to get us. But he has mercy on us. He gives us forgiveness. Now, at the right throne judgment, that's a different story because that's the judgment seat for the lost world. But until then... He shows mercy and forgiveness. He asks us to do the same for those around us. Are we ready to show mercy and forgiveness to those around us that have hurt us? Or are we going to stay bitter toward them? You know, who am I thinking of in our cases? Who's the person that if you see them coming down the street, you go the other way? You see their name on your phone, your phone ID and you go, oh, I'm not talking to this person. You, you see this person and you're immediately ready for battle. And because you're ready for battle, you're probably going to start the battle. Because you're already in a bad mood about that person because you just saw them. Is that really showing mercy and forgiveness to people? Now, do I realize that that's hard to do? Absolutely, I realize it's hard to do. 
because it's against our human nature. Forgiveness and mercy and grace are beyond human nature. It has to be done through Christ. How many of us have people in our family that we have the same attitude toward? As a member of my family, nobody wants that person to come to anything that's going on because they don't like him. Now, whether he deserves it or not is irrelevant because all of us deserve to have people not like us. And yet, we choose to show God's love and mercy to certain people. We choose to see God in that way because he has given us and the problem is, sometimes we get walking with God for so long that we forget that we deserve mercy. I love the one psalm that says, His mercies are new every morning every, after every sen- sentence that is made. <laughs> I think it's 46 ch- verses, and it says, His mercies are new every morning. Do we really realize in our life that if not for the mercy of God, we wouldn't be waking up? Because we don't deserve to wake up each morning in our flesh. We don't deserve to live through the day without his mercy. We really need to be showing this mercy to other people and saying, God, help me to show this mercy. Help me to forgive those who are hard to forgive. Now, the hard thing about this is the better you get at this, the harder, the harder the people God brings into your life to show mercy and forgiveness to. When you finally get done with the person you're thinking of right now in your heart and you get to show them mercy and, and, and forgiveness, God is really wonderful. He'll bring somebody harder into your life to show mercy and forgiveness to. Why? Because he wants us to become more like him. He wants us to keep showing mercy and love and forgiveness. It is not an easy thing, but when God's on our side, it becomes easy. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With his help, I can love people. I can be forgiving to people. I can show mercy to people. Cain's offering was not accepted and literally means God didn't even look at it. And Abel's was accepted. It was blood. It was the offering that was, that was proper. And Cain's attitude toward this was he was angry. And the word there is he was exceedingly angry. And you know, the strange thing was, his anger doesn't seem to be against God. It's God who rejected his offering because he did things his way. But he aims his anger at his brother, who did things the way God said to do it and was accepted. How many times do we do this with God? We do something that God says don't do. We have consequences. And instead of getting angry at God which is probably verifiable even though it's wrong placed, or angry at ourselves for being so stupid to do something like that, which would be the right way to be as long as it leads to repentance, we get angry at somebody else. The person gets angry at at the person who was promoted above them, who did the job better than they did, but they get angry at that person and 
do everything they can to sabotage that person's position because they're angry at that person. Even though if they had just done a little harder work, they could have gotten it. Or been a little better, they might have gotten it. Cain's anger, at first against God, you didn't accept mine, but then it's going to turn against his brother. And God's statement to him was very simple. God spoke to him. Cain, why are you so angry? (laughs) And why has your countenance fallen? His whole face showed his anger. You know, no upturned, upturned uh, smile lines, no upturned eyes with happiness. Everything has turned down. His, his frown is on there. His eyes are in that angry position that everybody, you know, with a downward thing. And God is saying, why are you so angry and why are you fallen in, in your countenance? And then he says something very interesting here. If you do well, would you not have been accepted? Or even yet, if you now go out and get a sacrifice that's correct, won't I forgive you? When we fall away from God in sin, we have a very quick decision. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. When we have sinned, we have a choice to make. Am I going to confess and repent of my sins and get back into fellowship with God? Or am I going to get angry and take it out on somebody? And if you've ever been angry, you know you usually don't take it out on God. You don't usually take it out on yourself. You go out and you find some target for your anger. And that poor target is usually an innocent person. I remember very well a fight that I had when I was, after I'd become saved, I hadn't had many fights. I was having a really bad day. People were really pressing, pressing and, and, and making me mad. And who did I fight? My best friend. You know, my best friend just came up joking and said something to me that normally wouldn't have been a big deal, and I hit him. You know, how often do we do that in our life, though? We don't, in our anger, we don't take it out on the target that it should be, which is usually us. We take it out on somebody who's innocent. For many people, that'll be their family member. I am so angry, I'm so upset, I can't take it out on these strangers because they'll know how bad I am, so I'll take it out on my family. <laughs> you know, I'll just push all their buttons, I'll really get them upset. All of us know we know exactly how to make anybody in our family upset. And unfortunately, they know how to make us upset. <laughs> and yet that is usually our response. I am angry about something I had did and the judgment I'm dealing, so I'm going to take it out on somebody else. And I'm going to prove their buttons until they get mad at me, and then I'll have a reason to get, get angry with them because now, they've been, now, now they're angry with me because I pushed all their buttons. How do we go about trying to justify ourselves? Let me get this person so mad at me that they react so that I can now react to their reaction. And I can justify it because they got, they, got, they got mad and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to love me and give me forgiveness and they didn't know how I am justified even though I caused it. Now we're not really thinking about it at the time that that's happening, but isn't that true when we think about what has happened in most of our battles we've had with people? 
We have pushed those buttons. We have done things to get them mad at us because we were already mad. We were already upset. God is telling them, Cain, if you just bring the sacrifice, you will be accepted. Then he goes on to say, however, and if you do not well, sin lies at the door. And this literally is the punishment for sin lies stretched out at the door. Cain, there's a there's an option before you right now. You can repent. You can bring the sacrifice and repent and be forgiven. Or the punishment for your sin is sitting right outside this door. And the problem with the punishment for sin is it doesn't come so quick to us. Consequence for sin usually has some delayed reaction to us. He's already been rejected for the forgiveness of his sins, and then he's going to take it out on his brother and get a judgment on it. You know, I've said this, you know, how many of us suffer, and don't raise your hand, suffer from gluttony, eating too much? You know, if we, had, if we had the results of our gluttony happen immediately, you, you eat those four pieces of cake, and instantly on your thighs, four pieces of cake show up on your thighs. <laughs> You wouldn't be eating those extra four pieces of cake very often. <laughs> the problem is, the extra weight on our, on our thighs and our bellies comes days, weeks after we've eaten the extra food. And by that time, we've had four or five days of extra food to have even more weight added on it. You know, and so many people will say, well, I didn't get caught. I didn't get punished. God's mercy is allowing us an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. And if we ask for forgiveness, there will still be consequences for that sin, but it will be lessened than it will be if we keep adding to that sin. And we get away with it, or we think we get away with it, and then we do more sin, and we do more sin, and then eventually our entire world crashes down around us because the consequences will come. Be sure that your sin will find you out, we're told. And Jesus even said it worse. Be sure that your, sin, your sins will be shouted from the rooftops. What does that mean? Well, you think you're getting away with your sin? You think it's an innocent sin that nobody knows about? Eventually, it'll be found out. And at the very least, your circle of friends that you wanted to have respect you will find out. So that means the more important you are in the kingdom, the more important you are known, the more, important, the more your sin will be shouted out. These evangelists who get into sexual sins and, and stealing from the, from the church and everything, when they think they're getting away with it, but eventually when they get caught, the whole world gets to know about it. Why? Because they put themselves at a high position. If all you have is your family that knows about you, your sin will be revealed to your family. If you're a linchpin in a community, you will be shown to the entire community. God will make sure that your sins get revealed to those that you're trying to impress, that you think are important in your life. They will get to hear about your sin. Cain's sin is going to be shouted out to the entire known world then, because it's only a handful of, handful of families. But they're going to be known. It's going to be shouted out. And God says, you have this choice, Cain. He goes, for unto you shall be his desire. Whose desire? Sin. Sin desires you, Cain. But if you offer that sacrifice, you will rule over the sin. 
This is what's in front of all of us every time. Satan and sin desires to bring us down. Now, we don't need Satan to sin. We have plenty of problems. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life will bring us down without Satan's help at all. Because we want stuff. We want stuff all the time. We want what is not ours. We want what we don't deserve. We want what we see. We will fall easily. Now, Satan can help us out. He can make sure that we see the things that we want. He can put in things in there, and he can, he can set the stage. But even without his help, we'll fall. We are born sinners because of the fall of Adam and Eve. We're born sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We will all sin. Why? Because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We are sinners to begin with. And without Christ crucifying our flesh, all of our desires are for sin. The closer we draw to God, the more we let him crucify us, the more our desires can become Christ-like. But we'll always have that problem with the flesh stuck in us. You know, when somebody attacks you physically or verbally, what is our natural instinct? We're ready to strike back. Either physically or verbally, it doesn't really matter, but we're going to strike back. You know, the, the statement we hear a lot of times is, I don't get mad, I get even. All right? That is not a biblical stance. <laughs> okay? That is not a biblical way of doing things. The biblical way is, I'm going to forgive you and God will get even. Can you imagine if we took more of that into our heart? I had my oldest son one time when I was having such a hard time with him and said, I don't know what to do from this point on. I give up on putting you in God's hands to deal with. You know, my son told me a couple of years ago he still remembers that statement because it scared the daylights out of him. <laughs> it was no longer dad who he had to worry about. It was God. And he was headed down the wrong path at that time. And he went down the path a lot further. <laughs> but he still remembered that he had been placed into God's hands. You really want to get back at somebody? Put him in God's hands. Now the problem is, God may get him saved and you'll have to love him even more. <laughs> but you know, it's still the better way to do. We just show love and kindness to people and forgiveness and let God take care of the rest. God will do what he needs to do to bring them to him. Because his first goal is to bring them to him. He does not desire that any go to hell. So his goal is first off, draw them to him. Now sometimes I've seen lives where he's torn them apart to get them to come to him. And you hear testimonies a lot of people whose lives were torn apart before they would come to God. They lost everything or being very close to losing everything before they decided they needed God. Others respond to God fairly quickly. God knows what it takes to get somebody to come to him. Our job is simply to love them. Show God's love and let God deal with them. If we could start having in our hearts, God, help me to show love to these people. God, help me to show love to this person that I can't stand. God, help me to show mercy and then watch what God does 
I have seen more changed lives over my lifetime by God's grace being shown to people than to try to pile laws on them. Because if you're anything like me, the more laws and rules you have placed on you, the more you want to rebel. It's kind of interesting during this COVID-19 and everybody's having to stay home. There's many of us who didn't care whether we had to stay home or not because we didn't like to leave home in the first place. But now that we're told we have to stay home, we want to get out of the house. And it's just another example of how when we're given rules, we want to rebel because our human nature is to not obey. Our job is to show God's grace to people and say, God, help me to love this person. Help me to forgive this person. The hardest thing for many of us is to forgive somebody because we've literally kept a record of all the wrongs they've ever done. Husband and wife fighting each other and each one bringing up everything they've done in the past 28 years that they've been married. But they were supposed to have been forgiven. You know, well, you always, you do, you, and back and forth, you know, you, you do, you've done, you did, you know. You know, we need to be so careful about this. How do we forgive? The first step is to quit counting the wrongs. Quit rehearsing the wrongs. And just say, today is a new day with this person. Again, that doesn't mean that somebody's done, you know, is physically hurt you every time they see you. Then don't go, don't hang around them. You know, you know, your forgiveness is not to put you in a place where you're going to get hurt. But also at the same time, we get so defensive so often that we draw back. You know, we're ready for a fight, and we will we will draw the fight out of them. The first thing you're taught in public relationships is, you know, relationship dealing with people is you smile and you're friendly. It usually diffuses most of the people's attacks. And then you're still being kind to them, even when they're being foolish and jumping up and down and screaming and, and red in face and throwing a tantrum and you be nice to them, most of the people eventually will calm down. Will it work 100% of the time? No. But most of the time it does. If we will do this with those that we have trouble with, we're just kind to them. Number one, they're going to try to figure out what's wrong. <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing? I'm just showing you God's love. Well, what, what is your motive? I just want to show you God's love. Well, what, what are you, you're trying to manipulate me. I just want to show you God's love. Yes, in one sense, I'm trying to manipulate them. I'm going to come to God. <laughs> and then I'm going to come to God if I'm mean and nasty to them. So by showing God's love, maybe I am manipulating them, but I want them to come to God. And I want to show them God's love and his mercy. This needs to be our attitude. And we need to be lifting people up. Not only should we be praying for those that we want to see saved, but we need to be lifting up and say, God, change my heart toward these people that I have hard feelings about. It's tough. And it's going to take God crucifying your flesh and dwelling in you to come out of you. But it can be done. Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Lord, help each one of us learn to love better, to forgive more, and that you be the one that helps us to see that. Lord, if there's any that's listening to this online that don't know you, we ask that today they will admit that they're a sinner. They will confess their sins and offer the sacrifice of that confession to you. 
so that you can be clothe them with your righteousness that Jesus died for, that they will recognize that they're a sinner, confess their sin, and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, help each one of us as we go out today to serve you in a better in, in way. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.